Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Good morning and thank you for joining us today for our online service. If you've been watching with us before, then hello again and welcome back. And if this, if this is your first time with us, then you two are very welcome. My name is Keely, and me and my husband Simon, who'll be preaching in a little while, lead the team at Riverside Vineyard Church here in Whitstable. I was reflecting, you know, this doesn't get any easier as the weeks go by. Yes, the recording's a bit easier and a little bit more normal, but not being able to see our church family is really difficult for Simon and I. We're in a long and hard season, and this morning I want to encourage all of us that whatever our circumstances, whatever we're feeling, whatever kind of week we've had, let's together come to our Father this morning with expectancy, because he's our hope and our courage and our strength to get through this. And to our precious church family, Simon and I miss you so much and we send all of our love to all of you and hope that you can feel a little bit of that this morning. Now before Jake and Emma lead us in a time of sung worship, Gavin is going to pray. We come before you this morning, part of your church, gathered all across the world in ones, twos and threes. I confess it doesn't feel much like a mighty army today, but I just want to thank you that it does feel like a loving family. And I just want to thank you for the privilege of, of being part of that family especially at this time and in this place. I want to thank you for all those that have gone before, all those that have made it possible to be here in this um, style, in this comfort, um, Lord. So I want to thank you for those whose creative endeavours, for their genius, for their stubbornness and for their effort medicine and technology and agriculture and education and industry and commerce have given us this connectedness and the comfort and the security that we enjoy in this country in this town at this time i also like to thank you for the the heroes of today who keep us safe keep us fed and maintain the essential services that support this lifestyle that we so enjoy. Grant them your favour, Lord, as they serve others across our land. And forgive us for taking it all so much for granted. The lifestyle, the choices. Lord, forgive us for holding on to it so tightly that we didn't share it with others. And Lord, at this time when the, the fragility of things is, is so exposed and the relationships we have come to depend on, work, school, family, friends, neighbours, they become so dislocated and fractured. I just thank you that we can rely on you. Thank you that in this time of change, 
for the certainty of your love for us, your unchanging, everlasting, unconditional and indiscriminate love for us. That wherever we're at, you are there with us. However broken and imperfect our efforts are at life, you are there with us. And we thank you in this time when the future is unclear and for many uncertain, we can have hope in you, Jesus. For life today and for life tomorrow and for life in whatever way the future unfolds, we thank you that whilst we might wobble in the midst of the storm, you are here with us. We thank you that you're here now in the middle of your church working, as the song says, even though we can't see it. We thank you that you are working in each life given over to you, loving us, growing us and guiding us as we listen to your voice. And this enforced sabbatical from whatever the old life looked like. I pray that we'd see the disrupted schedule and reduced activity um, as an opportunity to engage more deeply with you. Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. Transform us into the people you would have us be. Equip us in preparation for the changed world we will all emerge into. Give our leaders wisdom to know your way forward for Riverside Vineyard Church. Give your church compassion for the lost and the last and the least. Give us courage to step beyond where we are, whatever it is that you've given us, that your kingdom might come in this place. Amen. Hello, it's great to be back with you today. Um, Riverside Online, today we start a new series called EG following Jesus in Philippians. We're going to spend some time uh, looking at this book over the next few weeks. This book was a letter, it was written by the Apostle Paul. It was written to a church uh, in Philippi. This was a church community that he'd started on one of his journeys. Uh, Philippi is in modern day Greece, which you can see here on this map. And also you can see a flag where Paul was. Paul was in Rome in prison when he wrote this letter and the distance between them, as you can see, a few hundred miles. Paul went to Philippi. It was his first missionary trip to Europe and he took the good news of the gospel into Europe. Uh, you can read about this in the book of Acts. And uh, this letter, sorry, this journey was about AD 50 when Paul made this journey to spread the good news. This was the first time that Paul had gone into Europe, the first time that he'd taken the gospel uh, into a European country. And Philippi was a Roman military outpost where lots of retired um, military commanders were sent. It was sort of a, a, a Roman sort of, a, it wasn't a retirement place, but it was a place where lots of people who'd earned um, some sort of um, prestige in the Roman army might have been sent to retire. So Philip went to this area in Greece called Macedonia, where in response to a vision that he'd had, he, he had a vision where a man appeared to him and begged him to come over to Macedonia to help. And you can read about this again, Acts chapter 16, where we, uh, we see this story recorded by Luke, who was one of um, Paul's traveling companions at the time. 
And it says this, it says, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. While Paul was there, while he was, he was sharing the gospel with that community, a woman called Lydia uh, responded to Paul's message. It says that she opened her heart to him and to the message, and uh, she was baptised. And uh, all the members of her household were also baptised. And a new church was planted. Paul's letter to the Philippians. The church in Philippi was the first Jesus community Paul started in Eastern Europe. And that story is told in Acts chapter 16. Philippi was a Roman colony in ancient Macedonia. It was full of retired soldiers, and it was known for its patriotic nationalism. And so there, Paul faced resistance when he was announcing Jesus as the true king of the world. And after Paul moved on from there, those who became followers of Jesus continued to suffer resistance and even persecution, but they remained a vibrant community faithful to the way of Jesus. Paul sent this letter from one of his many imprisonments, and for a very practical reason. The Philippians had sent one of their members, Epaphroditus, to take a financial gift to Paul to support him in prison. And Paul sent back this letter with Epaphroditus to say thank you and to do a whole lot more. The design of this letter doesn't develop one single idea from beginning to end like many of Paul's other letters. Rather, Paul has arranged a series of short, reflective essays or vignettes, and they all revolve around the center of gravity in this letter, which is a poem in chapter 2. It artistically retells the story of the Messiah's incarnation, his life, death, and resurrection, and exaltation. And then in each of these vignettes, Paul will take up key words or ideas from that poem to show how living as a Christian means seeing your own story as a lived expression of Jesus' story. So Paul opens the letter with a prayer of gratefulness, and he thanks God for the Philippians' generosity, for their faithfulness, and he expresses his confidence that the life-transforming work that God has begun in them will continue into greater and more beautiful expressions of faithfulness and love. And Paul then focuses on their obvious concern at the moment, which is his status in prison. Being in a Roman prison was no picnic, but it paradoxically has turned out for good to advance the good news about Jesus. So all of the Roman guards, the administrators, they all know that Paul's in prison for announcing Jesus as the risen Lord. And his imprisonment, it's inspired confidence in other Christians to talk about Jesus more openly. And Paul's optimistic that he will be released from prison, but it's possible that he could be executed. And as he reflects on it, that actually wouldn't be so bad, because for me, Paul says, life is the Messiah. And so dying would be a gain. For Paul, his life in the present and in the future, it's defined by the life and love of Jesus for him. And so if he's executed... That means he'll be present with Jesus, which would be great for him. And if he's released, well, that would mean he could keep working to start more Jesus communities, which would be better for other people. And so that's what he hopes for. And notice how his train of thought works here. Dying for Jesus is not the true sacrifice for Paul. Rather, it's staying alive to serve others. And so that's Paul's way of participating in the story of Jesus, to suffer in order to love others more than himself. 
Paul then turns to the Philippians and he urges them to participate in Jesus' example by taking up this same mindset. He says, your life as citizens should be consistent with the good news about the Messiah. So these Christians in Philippi, they were living in a hotbed of Roman patriotism. But their way of life was to be shaped by another king, Jesus. And that might bring persecution. But they are not to be afraid because suffering for being associated with Jesus, it's a way of living out the story of Jesus himself. Which leads Paul into the great poem of chapter 2. It's rich with echoes of Old Testament texts, specifically the story of Adam and his rebellion in Genesis 1 through 3, and the poems about the suffering servant in the book of Isaiah. This poem is worth committing to memory. It is a beautifully condensed version of the gospel story. So before becoming human, the Messiah pre-existed in a state of glory and equality with God. And unlike Adam, who tried to seize equality with God, the Messiah chose not to exploit his equal status for his self-advantage. Rather, he emptied himself of status. He became a human. He became a servant to all. And even more than that, he allowed himself to be humiliated. He was obedient to the Father by going to his death on a Roman execution rack. But through God's power and grace, the Messiah's shameful death has been reversed through the resurrection. And now God has highly exalted Jesus as the king of all, bestowing upon him the name that is above all names, so that all creation should recognize that Jesus the Messiah is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, that last statement is astounding. Paul's quoting from Isaiah chapter 45. It's a passage where all creation comes to recognize the God of Israel as Lord. Paul's point here is very clear. In the crucified and risen Jesus, we discover that the one true God of Israel consists of God the Father and the Lord Jesus. And so for Paul, this poem, it expresses his convictions about who Jesus is, and it does more. It offers the example of Jesus as a way of life that his followers are to imitate. And so that's why Paul immediately goes on to tell two stories, first about Timothy, then about Epaphroditus, because they are both examples of people living out Jesus' story. So Timothy's like Jesus because he's constantly concerned for the well-being of other people more than his own. And Epaphroditus, who the Philippians sent with their gift, he ended up risking his life to serve Paul in prison. He got so sick he almost died trying to help Paul. But God had mercy on him and Paul by sparing him the loss of a friend. Paul's point here is that these are the kinds of people who are living, breathing examples of the story of Jesus, and they are worthy of imitation. Paul then turns to his own story as an example. So those Christians who had been demanding circumcision of non-Jewish Christians, remember his letter to the Galatians, these people are still stirring up trouble for Paul, and they keep reminding him of his own past. When he used to persecute Jesus' followers, when he tried to show his right standing before God by his zealous obedience to the laws of the Torah. But like Jesus, Paul has given up all of that status and privilege. He now regards all of it as filth. And the word he uses is actually much less polite. He's given it all up to become a servant, like Jesus, to participate in his suffering and sacrificial love. And he does all of it in the hope that Jesus' love will carry him through death and out the other side into resurrection. So Paul says that for followers of Jesus, their true citizenship is in heaven. 
Which for Paul does not mean that we should all hope to get away from earth and go to heaven one day. Rather, heaven is the transcendent place where Jesus reigns as king. And he says we're eagerly awaiting our royal savior to come from there and return here to bring his kingdom of healing justice and transforming love to bring about a new creation. Paul then challenges the Philippians to keep living out the Jesus story. He first addresses two prominent women leaders in the church who worked alongside Paul, and they're in some kind of conflict. And so Paul pleads with them to follow Jesus' example of humility, to reconcile and become unified. Paul then urges the Philippians not to give in to fear, but despite their persecution, to vent all of their emotion and their needs to God, who will give them peace. And that peace, Paul says, it comes by focusing your thoughts on what is good and true and lovely. There's always something that you could complain about, but a follower of Jesus knows that all of life is a gift and can choose to see beauty and grace in any life circumstance. Which leads Paul to his conclusion. He again thanks the Philippians for their sacrificial gift, and he wants them to know that his imprisonments, that his times of poverty, that these are not true hardships for him. They've actually become his greatest teachers, showing him that no matter his circumstances, he has learned the secret of contentment, its simple dependence on the one who strengthens him. Paul has come to see his own suffering as a participation in the story of Jesus. The letter to the Philippians gives us a unique window into Paul's own heart and mind. He saw his entire life as a reenactment of the story of Jesus. And you can sense in this letter his close connection to Jesus, his awareness that Jesus' love and presence is closer than his own skin. And that's what gave him hope and humility in his darkest hours. And so Paul shows us that knowing Jesus is always a deeply personal, transforming encounter. That's the kind of Jesus that Paul invites others to follow. And that's what Paul's letter to the Philippians is all about. So a great summary there by the Bible Project of this particular book. We're going to be exploring the themes of this letter over the next eight weeks or so. We're having a break on Pentecost Sunday on 31st of May, uh, when we'll have a guest speaker who will be speaking online for us. And I won't share who that is now. I'll keep the surprise. We can look forward to a, a guest speaker on the 31st of May. Because Philippians is such a relatively small book in your Bible, it's only four chapters long. I would encourage you to read and reread this letter during this series. The best way to read Philippians is to imagine that this has come to you as a letter to the post. It's come in an envelope addressed to you. It's landed uh, on your doormat and you've opened it to sit down and read the letter. And uh, as you do that, try to ignore the chapter markers, try to ignore the verse markers. These weren't there in the original text. And if you try to ignore them, you can read the letter in its fullness and its entirety. And as you do that, you'll get a real sense of Paul's heart and warmth and love for the members of the church in Philippi. You could perhaps imagine that you are a member of that church and Paul is writing to you to encourage you and to thank you. Paul had a very special relationship with this church. He had a real friendship and uh, that's where we want to start today with this series. This talk is going to be called Friends in the Gospel. Let's read from chapter 1 verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have, in you, I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. Paul's letter is rooted in a three-way relationship, and that's a relationship between him and Jesus, him and the community of believers at Philippi, and his heart to connect them with the love of Christ. And you can think of it a bit like this triangle with Jesus at the top, Paul on one side and the church at Philippi on the other. One side of the triangle reflects Paul's relationship with Jesus for whom he considered, he says later on in the letter, all things lost for the sake of knowing Jesus. This letter has at least 61 mentions of Jesus throughout it. And for Paul, Jesus is always the focus as he writes to the Philippians. Another side of the triangle represents Paul's relationship with the believers at Philippi. This is a special relationship, as we've already mentioned. Paul considers them friends, friends in the gospel. And that, this makes this letter unlike any other letter that Paul writes at the time. And lastly, we have Paul's ultimate concern for the people in Philippi, that he always points them back to Christ, back to the love of God and the grace of God. And in this particular letter, it's the example and hope that is in Jesus. Paul is writing from prison in Rome. He is, he is in a sense, suffering imprisonment, and he's writing to a church that is also suffering. They're suffering opposition from, from the Romans in Philippi, and then also suffering hardship and poverty. And he writes to draw them back to the example of his life in God and also the life of other believers and ultimately the, the, the life of Jesus Christ. Let's start with looking at verse one. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So Timothy is Paul's traveling companion and probably scribes his letters for him. And Paul introduces them both as servants of Christ. In other letters, Paul's much more formal in his introduction, where he normally describes himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. But this is a letter written by friends to friends, and we have this lovely informal greeting at the start. Paul and Timothy are friends, and they're writing to friends in the church at Philippi. And this opening verse sets the tone of the whole letter. These are friends in the gospel. The church started in the house of Lydia, uh, and when Paul leaves Philippi, again, you can read about this in Acts 16, it concludes them saying goodbye in that house. So that sense of community and connection is very much present right in the early part of the formation of that church. And what I love about the gospel is it creates amazing friendships. Paul travels to Europe to a place he's never been before, taking the message of God's love and God's grace. And he meets Lydia and she opens her heart to him. And she opens her heart to the gospel and a friendship is formed that endures 
many, many, many years later. And what I love about the gospel is the way it creates new friendships. When we moved from Birmingham to Whitstable back in 2015, one of the hardest things we had to do was to leave behind our friends who we'd had for many, many years in that part of the country. But we knew God was calling us here. And we knew that if we followed that call, we knew that new friendships would be formed because the gospel never works in isolation. The gospel never works independently. The gospel works relationally. And so we knew if we follow God's call, that we would find new friends in the gospel. And we have, we found you incredible guys, fantastic new friends. God has been faithful to his call. Friendship is incredibly important in the church. Some people think that maybe marriage is the ultimate expression of relationship and community. But actually I think friendship surpasses that because friendship is available to everyone. Friendship is gonna continue on. Um, it says in scripture that we won't marry uh, in heaven. There won't, be, uh, there won't be married couples in heaven, but I'm sure there will be friendship rooted in Christ. Jesus said to his disciples in John's gospel, I have called you friends. And I want to encourage you this morning, maybe just to pause now and think about the friends that God has brought into your life because of the gospel. Because of the gospel, you will have connected with people that you would have not connected with in any other way. You may have never crossed paths, you may have never rubbed shoulders, but because of Jesus, you've been brought into connection and into friendship with so many different and varied people. God creates new friendships through the gospel. And there'll be people in your life right now who are a real blessing to you, and you've met them because you're part of God's community in the church. And as I said last week, the, God's in the business of uniting things and bringing things together. And the gospel does that. The gospel creates relational connections and it creates these incredible friendships that endure and last and have a depth to them, which is very difficult to sort of express and summarise. And when we came from Birmingham, we had these connections with people so quickly because of the gospel. So think about friends that you have now. Think about friends that God has brought into your life and maybe give thanks for them this morning. As we've said, Paul is writing this letter from Rome to his friends in Greece, some 500 plus miles away. And as we study the letter, we'll see that Paul is trying to pour his heart and his love and his warmth into this letter. He wants to try and be present with the people in Philippi through his writings. And we're all really missing being with our friends, aren't we? This, the isolation, uh, it's difficult because we can't connect with friends only through media, only through um, through different uh, the different sources, maybe a phone call or a text. And I want you to think this week, week about maybe encouraging friends that you have. Maybe you need to do what Paul did. Maybe you need to think about a way you can you can connect with them and be present with them, even though you can't physically be there. Think about the friends that you really appreciate, that you really value, and maybe you want to write them a letter. Maybe you want to. Give them a phone call, drop them a text, just, just something to tell them that you're thinking about them and really appreciate them. And also that you want to support them in this difficult time. Keely mentioned in her email uh, to the church this week that uh, the coronavirus is impacting us all in different ways. She said, we're all in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. And you may feel that your boat has been pretty safe and pretty secure during this time. You may feel quite... Um, 
safe uh, and, and not particularly being buffeted by the coronavirus. But there may be friends that you have who for them, their boat feels much more unsure, much more, much more unsafe. And they're, and they're experiencing all sorts of anxieties because of the nature of this pandemic. And at this time, your friendship will be invaluable to them. So why not think about who you can reach out to, who you can support and who you can encourage. Maybe ask God to put the people on your heart that you need to connect with this week, that you need to speak to and show how much you love and appreciate them, just as Paul did when he wrote to the people in Philippi. Okay, let's get back to the, to the letter. So the next verse, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Now all the translations of this scripture say to all the saints of the Most High, but the NIV is probably a better translation when it says that those who come to Christ are made holy. And what holiness really is about is being set apart for the purposes of God. And so Paul is saying that you, you guys in Philippi, you responded to God's call. You've come to him, you've connected with him through Christ. And now you're part of God's family. And that's a family with a purpose. That's a family with a mission. And so you're set apart for God's purposes. You're made holy in God. And Paul adds on this funny line, together with the overseers and deacons, and often commentators are interested to know why Paul wrote this, but I think it's because Paul wanted to say this letter had universal application. The overseers and deacons were part of the leadership of the church, and Paul's saying everybody needs to hear what I have to say here. The, the, the overseers and deacons aren't, aren't separate in any way, they're, they're not distinct in the sense that this isn't applicable to them. This letter, and what I have to say here, is for everyone in the church community. And Paul shows us by writing this that healthy church leadership is firmly embedded and integrated into the life of the church. Leadership is not to be outside or separate or distant. There's not one rule for one and one rule for others. Paul says, what I have to say here is for all of you in the church community at Philippi. The overseers, the word means to, um, it's a verb, it's not a noun, it's a verb, it means to look after or to care for. So these would be the people who had a particularly pastoral concern for the people uh, in the church. And the word deacon simply means to serve. And so Paul already had identified himself as a servant in this way. And what I like about this introduction to the letter is we get a model of the servant leadership that's been expressed in the early church. The leadership was integrated and hands-on not remote or distant. And that's, I think, is, the, is, the, is a model that we can look to and, and reflect as we think about church leadership. Okay, verse two. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul's greeting here is reminiscent of, a, of an ancient Jewish, Jewish blessing. He asks for God's grace. Uh, the word is charis, God's, God's grace, that's the sufficiency of God for all things. He asks for God's peace. You can think of it like the shalom, the, the sense of wholeness and well-being. He asks for both of these things to come from God, through God, to the people at Philippi. And it's a beautiful greeting because it encompasses this, 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 this gospel message that through God, that through God's unmerited favour, through his grace, we can experience uh, ultimate peace. We can come to this sense of well-being and wholeness. So I want to say to you guys today as you listen, grace and peace to you from our Lord, from, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I want that grace and peace to kind of go through this camera lens and land in your hearts today. 
that sense of God's sufficiency for you, that sense of security in God that comes from his peace, that passes all understanding, that passes our circumstances by, that supersedes them. I want to pray grace and peace to you today to land in your hearts. Just open your hearts to receive God's grace. Open your hearts to let his peace flood in, to push out your anxieties. Let him calm you in the storm. Paul continues on. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. One of the most obvious evidences that you see in a person's life when they come to Christ is they have a sense of joy, of overflowing joy, and they have a sense of grace. They, they, they recognise God's grace uh, in their lives, that sense of unmerited love from God to them. And that's why I think that... Um, I think grumpy Christians are a bit of an oxymoron. They're a bit of a, a contradiction in terms because when we come to Christ and we really experience his love and his grace, it's very hard to be grumpy. In one of his earliest letters to the church, written back in AD 50, Paul says this. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And that's in his letters to the, to the Thessalonians. Now, 10 years have passed since Paul wrote that letter. And it's been tough for Paul. Paul's had all sorts of incredibly difficult things happen to him, all sorts of trials. He's been imprisoned. He's been flogged. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's been shipwrecked three times. He's been, he's been, he's been at sea, um, probably on some wreckage for, for, for over a day. He's been in danger constantly from different people groups, those he considered friends, those he considered enemies. He's been hungry. He's been thirsty. He's gone without shelter. He has had more reasons than anyone to become a grumpy, disgruntled believer. But true to the gospel that he preaches, he's still advocating 10 years on, after going through all this stuff, to be thankful and be joyful. And to quote the old adage, life hasn't made him bitter, life has made him better. And if we centre our lives on Jesus as Paul did, we can experience thankfulness and joy that transcends our circumstances. Paul was in prison in Rome. He had no freedom, no liberty. He was incarcerated because of his faith. And he was writing to a church in Philippi that equally was suffering. It was suffering under Roman persecution. It was also suffering hardship and poverty. And Paul points himself, sorry, points to himself and points them back to Jesus to say, you have a hope that goes beyond your circumstances. And he does this by modelling thankfulness and joy to them. And whenever they come to mind, he prays with joy for them. The fact that they're in his life, the fact that they're his friends, he wants to just, just reflect on that. And that brings him joy as he prays for them. He's also thankful that this church in Philippi partnered with him from, from the start, from the outset. They were early adopters. They partnered with him from the first day, Paul said. So they, they got on board with his vision and his passion for the gospel. And they carried that until now. And their partnership has taken the form of friendship. It's taken the form of faithfulness to the gospel. And it's taken the form of support as well. They've supported Paul's ministry with, with resources. They sent him a gift, we read later on, by a guy called Epaphroditus, who comes 
with a gift and brings that to Paul while he's in prison in Rome. And Paul uses the church in Philippi as an example of overflowing generosity when he writes to the church in Corinth. He says this in 2 Corinthians. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and they're a proud church. They're proud of their status and their gifts and what God is doing amongst them. But Paul says, you're still lagging behind a little bit that some of the other churches, maybe the more obscure churches, because they have an earnestness, an earnestness to support and to be generous and to overflow. And the church in Philippi, they were excelling in generosity towards the gospel and towards Paul's ministry. Um, and because of this, Paul's confident because he sees all these markers in them. He says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I think Paul is confident that God is going to carry on working in the church in Philippi for a number of reasons. I think he's confident because... First of all, because of his own story and the fact the way God has worked in his own life. He says Paul has become convinced that God finishes what he starts. He's, be, he's moved to a position of assurity that when God begins a work, he will complete the work. And he alludes to this much more later on in this letter about the progress in his own life of the gospel. So he looks on his own story for confidence. He knows that God will build his church. Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And Paul is confident that whatever is thrown at the church, whatever, um, whatever comes at it, whatever adversity it experiences, the church will prevail. The church will prevail and God will continue to build his church and his kingdom will continue to come because of what Jesus said. And lastly, he sees this genuine expression of the gospel present in the church at Philippi. Following Jesus costs. It costs us in many ways. It costs us in the way we spend our time, our energy, our money. As we become servants of Jesus, just as Paul and Timothy have, and the people at Philippi, then we lean into that cost and we lean into that service and we think about how we can use what God has given us to steward for the gospel and for, for ministry. And Paul looks at the believers in Philippi and he sees how they fully embraced the cost of the gospel. And they're overflowing with joy. They're overflowing with generosity. In the midst of severe trial, he said, when he wrote to the church in Corinth, and severe poverty, they partner with the gospel. They partner with the people of God and they're overflowing with what God is pouring into them. And so all this gives Paul great confidence that what is happening in the church at Philippi, in those believers, is authentic. It's an authentic expression of the gospel being present. And I want to thank Riverside today for 
that we overflow as a church with generosity. Many of you give um, richly and, and over and above to enable ministry to flow through this church into the community. And even though we're still experiencing difficult times, and even though for some of you, um, you're experiencing financial pressure, the church continues to be generous. The con church continues to overflow with generosity. And because of that, we can be a channel for God's grace into our community. And that enables us to, to powerfully minister God's love to the people around us. And so it gives me confidence that what God has started with us, he will bring to completion. He will carry on. All the plans that he has for us as a church community, all the plans that he has to make Riverside a place that is good for everyone, that, that becomes a, a hub of God's love and blessing for the community. I am convinced that as we come through this pandemic, as we come through this trial, God will continue to work with us and through us to be a blessing to our community. And so I want to rejoice today. I want to celebrate you. I want to celebrate what God is doing. I want that thankfulness and joy to rise in all our hearts, even in the midst of this difficult time, even in the midst of difficult pressures we're facing. Let that joy and thankfulness bubble up for each other today. Paul continues, it's right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains in defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. These words show the tender place of affection in Paul's heart for the people at Philippi. The phrase, I have you in my heart, is one of the most tender expressions you find in any of Paul's writings. He carries these people, these friends, around in his heart, regardless of the trials that he's personally facing, he thinks about them and they strengthen him and they encourage him. And there's a deep sense of oneness and connection here that Paul is trying to, is trying to send to them through his words, through this letter, that even though they're separate physically, they're still one in Christ. They're still sharing in God's grace and they're also sharing in God's suffering. And like us, again, we're separated by distance, not as far as Paul and Philippi, but we're separated. But God's grace and love continues to flow between us. We're one in Christ. We share in his grace and we share in his sufferings. And then Paul moves on to prayers. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. So Paul has expressed his joy and now he moves to prayers of intercession for the people in Philippi. And this prayer is one of the most powerful recorded by Paul in his letters. He asks that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Think back to our, our triangle. Paul's ultimate concern is to continually point the people of Philippi back to the person of Jesus Christ because he knows is that as their intimacy deepens, as that connection strengthens, and as God's love and grace flows more into them, that will give them all they need for life and ministry and, and to, to stand against the adversity they're facing. They know, he knows that that connection uh, is the key. The connection, it's the same for us, it's the same for every one of us, that that connection with Jesus is always the key because that's the connection along which God's life flows. And as we come back into harmony with God, it brings us back into harmony with each other and it enables us to, to be in harmony with the community that God has placed us in. And so 
let that, that, that love abound, that, that depth of insight increase. He says that you may be able to discern what is best. And the inference here is you can pick out what is truly valuable. You can discern what is really worthwhile. It's like it's, 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 an, it's a word that might be used for coins to say that's, that's a genuine coin. That's a counterfeit coin. It's like you had a, a pile of coins you were sorting through and you were picking out what the valuable coins were. And that's what this sense means in this particular uh, phrase here. So what's, what's, what really matters? What's worthwhile? What's, how can we discern the best from just the good? And Paul is saying, my prayer for you is that you can do this together as a community. You can have common goals, common values that center around what's really important, what's really valuable, because that will create a powerful uh, community of believers in Philippi. And again, the same for us. How can we, how can we ask God, say, God, show me what's really valuable. God, help, help me use this time where I have maybe more time to reflect and think and pray. Help me to kind of order my life and figure out what's really important. What's really a value? What do I really need to hold on to? Where is the good being the enemy of the best? Where do I need to sort of figure out what's really worth pursuing and, 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 and moving forward with? He asked them may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And the word pure here is derived from the word sunlight. It's like he wants them to be transparent before God. Almost like, like God's light is, is shining through them. And uh, it's a call just for, for them just to, be, just to be fully filled with God. And God's light and love filling every part of who they are. And blameless means he wants them not to cause anyone else to stumble. So... Not only are they thinking about their own connection with God, they're also thinking about how they affect other people through what they say and do. And again, going back to Keely's phrase, you know, let's think about our words, let's think about our phrase, let's think about our connection with people. You may be in a strong boat in the storm, but you may be next to somebody whose boat is taking on water. And yours isn't to celebrate how strong your boat is. Yours is to look across and say, how can I support and help you when you're feeling unsafe in your situation? So blameless for the day of Christ, looking forward to the day when Jesus will return. That progression, that sense of journey in all of our lives, moving forward, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul's asking for that fruit that will come and grow as we continue in our relationship with Christ. It's that evidence of a living faith, evidence of fruits that naturally grows and is revealed in our lives as we connect with Christ. And Paul has already spelled this out, as you know, uh, in his letter to the church in Galatia. He lists the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and the self-control. All these fruits rise to the surface of our lives and are displayed um, as we connect and continue in our connection with Jesus Christ. One day we'll meet Jesus face to face. That's what Paul says. The day of Christ is coming eventually and uh, we'll meet him and we'll have a chance to ultimately connect with him. But as we wait for that day, we journey and we display more of his life in our lives. So guys, to summarise this first section today, even though Philippi was a Roman outpost, Paul saw it really more as an outpost of heaven. He saw it as a, as a place where kingdom God's kingdom was coming. He saw it as God's kingdom outpost uh, in Eastern Europe. The gospel he had taken there uh, in response to that uh, vision of the Macedonian man calling him over. The gospel he'd taken had taken root in Philippi and was flourishing 
And you must have been so proud of the way they were, the way they were um, displaying Jesus, even under hardship and trial. And uh, he must have been so proud and so pleased to see what God was doing in that community. As we journey through this letter together, I hope that some of Paul's confidence in them will spill over into us as we read Paul's warmth and love and, and hope centered in Christ, that we too will have an increasing hope and expectancy that God will do all he said he would do, that God's love and plan will be freshly imparted into our lives. Paul had been convinced by what God had done in his own life and what he'd seen in the life of others and what he'd seen in the community in Philippi. He'd been convinced that God is the God who finishes what he starts. Paul's letter is almost 2,000 years old, yet as we read his words, that the warmth and the power and the hope is still so present to us today. And I'm hoping that those words land in our heart with the same power they must have landed to the people in the church at Philippi. Paul points us back to Jesus. He points us back to the example of his life and he points to other people and says, look, look at how God works in lives. Look at how God brings friends together in the gospel. We're going to close today by, by having a, a wonderful song by our worship team, uh, Living Hope. They've come together to collaborate on this song. So, um, so I'm, I'm praying as we put this song on now that you, you think about the living hope that is in Christ Jesus for you. That you think about... Um, the hope that surpasses circumstance, the hope that's rooted in the assurity of God's love for you. And as you hear this song, let his grace and peace fill you again uh, as you reflect on the words. Jesus Christ, my living
Thank you to all the members of the worship team who put that together. That's absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. We really enjoyed uh, listening and, and worshiping to that today. Thank you for journeying with us again uh, with Riverside Online. We, we trust that you're enjoying our content and uh, our services, and we hope you're feeling connected with us, and we're hoping that um, we, are, we are helping you connect back with God every week. As always, you can, you can contact us through our website or through our Facebook page, and uh, we look forward to be able to serve you and continue to bless you in this way. This event is going to stay live as normal for 15 minutes. Our virtual cafe is open, so maybe grab a drink and have a chat and just connect with people in our comments section. God bless you. As I said, maybe get into the book of Philippians, just a small book, four chapters. Maybe think about reading it all through today if you get the chance. And then maybe read it in different versions and keep coming back to this letter that has so much of God's love and God's heart in it through the Apostle Paul. God bless you and we'll catch up with you soon. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.